L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Longshot is a production of McClatchy Studios and iHeartRadio. Previously on Payback. Does equal mean identical or does equal mean being treated in a fair and equitable way? This is when they talk about like, we have to find a way to take the steps to actually change the system. That's it. US wins their fourth World Cup. All thousands and thousands of people chanting equal pay. I was like, this is going to be global. In the summer of 2019, Jessica McDonald became a world champion. From the scorched playing fields of Glendale, Arizona, to Phoenix College, then Chapel Hill, and then professional teams around the world, the peak of Jess's soccer journey may have come on the pitch in Lyon, France. But even there among the confetti, it was clear that Jess's journey had already become intertwined with something far larger and as yet undone. Jess and her teammates were on a symbolic journey for women everywhere. For generations of women discriminated against in the past. For future generations of women on the national team. In the pro game. And in locker rooms and boardrooms well beyond. Major news this morning in the years-long fight for equal pay by the women's national soccer team. And Jessica McDonald has never met a fight she wasn't determined to win. Yet another achievement for one of the winningest teams in sports history. From the Charlotte Observer, Raleigh News and Observer, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio, this is Payback. I'm Alexandreev, and this is Part 10, Pay Up. Shortly after the whistle blew at that final in France, Jess McDonald celebrated on the field with her son, Jeremiah. Shortly after that, Jeremiah left with Dan, Marta, and Isabel Rockaway, and Jess found an epic party in the U.S. Women's National Team's locker room. 
teammate Ashlyn Harris captured the delighted chaos. In videos she posted online, plastic sheeting can be seen covering all the lockers, and Jess and her teammates are wearing special jerseys. They all have the number 19 for 2019, and instead of last names on the back, they all simply read, Champions. A few hours later, the team loaded onto a bus for a nearby after party for friends and family. On the bus, the celebration continued. At the after party, the players were greeted as conquering heroes. As the crowd parted to welcome the champions, Jess was wearing a black t-shirt with gold lettering that read, USA beat everybody. And she was leading another rendition of a song heard often that night. Watching Jess go through everything that she's gone through, then like see her at the place where she always wanted to be was such a crazy experience. 18-year-old Isabel Rockaway has become the sister Jess never had. The party at the when they won the championship was such a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And the party that Isabel was talking about started at nine o'clock at night after we won the World Cup and lasted till like five or six in the morning at this private little courtyard that was walled in. Dan Rockaway. And we just were there and everybody was there. It was amazing. And at the party, do you remember, Julie Earth came up to us and thanked us for taking care of Jessica's child, of Jeremiah. So we had team members that were like thanking us for helping Jessica out. And to have these stars come up to us thanking us, it was amazing. Just a few days later, Jess, Jeremiah, and the national team were in New York for a ticker tape parade along the same route once traveled by popes, queens, and empresses. How cool is this? Can you give me a cheese? Give me a smile? Jeremiah joined Jess atop one of the floats for a procession that moved from the lower tip of Manhattan through the Canyon of Heroes to City Hall. Jess and Jeremiah were wearing matching black t-shirts that read World Champions, and Jeremiah waved to the adoring fans. Thousands of them. Some reports said tens of thousands. Some said hundreds of thousands. In videos Jess posted online, Jeremiah looks a bit shell-shocked. In remarks at City Hall, then-U.S. soccer president Carlos Cordero attempted to say many of the right things, but sometimes the crowd interrupted him. U.S. soccer has invested more in women's soccer than any country in the world. And we will, and we will continue to invest. And then he mispronounced the name of perhaps the most visible women's soccer player in the world. Winner of the Golden Boot, the tournament's Top scorer and the best player, Megan Rapinoe. Rapinoe was magnanimous in her remarks. Carlos, thank you. You were incredible this World Cup. I'm going I'm to stick my neck out there a little bit. I'm going to endorse Carlos. I think he's with us. I think he's on the right side of things. I think he's going to make things right. Later that same day, the women boarded a charter flight to Los Angeles to attend the ESPY Awards. 
From being in t-shirts at a ticker tape parade, to being red carpet ready on the other side of the country, a team of hairstylists and makeup artists went to work on players in the air. Jess's plus one for the evening, a stylish seven-year-old in slacks and suspenders. And by the time the U.S. women found their seats at the front of the Microsoft Theater that evening, World Cup trophy in hand, Jess and her teammates were ready for their next big honor. A great team doesn't just unify its players, it unifies its fans and all those who appreciate sport at its best. Here are the nominees. Sandra Bullock presented the award for best team of 2019. The winner is... All those in favor of equal pay say aye. The women's national soccer team! We have the support. We have the fan base. We fill stadiums. And we win. We win. Like, what more do you need from us? What more? Jess told me the champagne, the honors, the victory tour, they were once-in-a-lifetime experiences. They were exactly what she'd worked her entire life to experience. And at the same time, at some point, words are only worth so much. There's not much more that we can truly prove as female footballers because we've already proved ourselves. We've done enough. And now it's time to pay up. Time's up. But if those celebrations and frustrations had begun to feel somewhat routine to the U.S. women, a new window of opportunity soon opened because big changes were about to unfold inside U.S. soccer. We'll tell you about that after this. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public... The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand, when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, the U.S. women's national team players are back for the defending NWSL champs. Once the fanfare of the World Cup subsided, Jess came back to North Carolina, her bedroom in the Rockaways' house, and her NWSL team, the defending champion North Carolina Courage. On the field, Jess got right back to her scoring ways, and before long, the Courage were heading right back to another NWSL championship game. Across to McDonald and the Courage have two! Jess scored in that title game, and with a resounding 4 to nothing win, added yet another title to her trophy case. However, off the field, the more attention Jess got, the more complicated things at home got. As she lived with us longer, she became kind of more famous. <laughs> it was more, um, her time was in more demand, I guess. Dan Rockaway. As she won the World Cup, coming home for a couple weeks, you know, getting Jeremiah acclimated again with his mother being around all the time then disappearing for two weeks. There'll be times where like, oh, now she's home for two weeks, but she's got to fly here and do this commercial or fly there. So we did see her schedule kind of go from, you know, being half full to completely full. Outside of her NWSL play, Jess and Jeremiah remained with the U.S. national team for the next nine months. Jess is a beloved backup, Jeremiah is the team's adopted son, and here in March 2020, he's the birthday boy. Following the World Cup, Jess was on the roster with the national team for its Olympic qualifying tournament. Number 22, Jessica McDonald. And then the U.S. team that won the 2020 She Believes Cup. Another trophy in the cabinet for this juggernaut of a team. The fast-becoming icons, not only the sporting world, but in the wider world. Financially, Jess's time with the national team provided a sense of security and opportunity she had never known. Women's team players receive more than $50,000 for being on the roster for the World Cup qualifiers, plus nearly $150,000 from the World Cup, including a roster bonus and performance bonus for winning the title in France. Then, U.S. soccer paid a salary to a certain number of women's players and paid the players' salary in the NWSL. All told, during her time with the national team, Jess told me that she was paid close to $400,000 by U.S. soccer and that she took home a little more than half that after taxes. Her financial situation had changed a lot drastically from when she moved in and had nowhere to go to being a World Cup champion. Dan Rockaway. So we just sat down and talked about it. And, and then she ended up going back to Cary, where her, you know, closer to her club and everything. I, it just ended up that she was moving out. And we're like, okay, 
All right. We try to have over every couple weeks just to catch up and everything. That's the sort of thing a few hundred thousand dollars can do. And Jess herself would be the first to say it's a significant sum of money. But when U.S. Soccer said something similar in another legal filing in the player's lawsuit, it seemed to hit all the wrong notes. In that filing, the Federation said that the women's complaints of unequal pay were invalid because during the years covered in the lawsuit, the U.S. women had played a total of 111 games and had been paid $24.5 million. That's an average of about $220,000 per game. U.S. Soccer said that in comparison, the men's team played 87 games in that time period and was paid a total of $18.5 million. That's an average for the men of $212,000 per game, less per game than what the women received. Except, those calculations prominently featured an anomalous 2018 when the U.S. men didn't qualify for the World Cup at all. In a disastrous showing by the men's team, they missed the tournament for the first time in 32 years. So in that bad 2018, the men received none of their standard appearance and performance bonuses for the World Cup, while Jess and the women's team won the whole thing in 2019. That's the only reason the men's and women's payouts were close. Had the men simply made that 2018 World Cup, even if they lost all their games there, the men's per-game average would have jumped well above the women's per-game average, even though the women won the World Cup title. There's this argument that, hypothetically, women's compensation may be bumping up as equal to or, or a little bit less than men's compensation because it doesn't take into account the fact that women won four times more than men. Molly Levinson is the player's PR representative. And those World Cup payouts and what the women in their lawsuit called gender-based discriminatory policies by USSF formed the basis for the women's argument that they were owed $66 million in back pay. They should be making, therefore, three times the amount that they actually made because they essentially have to win all of their games while men lose many of their games to make almost as much money as the men. For so much of the world, and almost all of the sports world, the rest of 2020 was eerily quiet due to COVID-19. The NWSL season was canceled. Jess had qualified for the 2020 Summer Olympics with the national team. And that was pushed back a year. But there was plenty of action within U.S. soccer, where the players' lawsuit and the Federation's misfiring responses caused shockwaves. The president of the U.S. Soccer Federation has stepped down from his position. A federation saying that biological science is the reason why men should make more money than the women? You've got to be kidding me. Carlos Cordero announced his resignation Thursday evening. At the women's team's ticker tape parade, Cordero had pledged to work with them to find an equitable resolution. Clearly, that hadn't happened. How is this thing going to move forward? Where's the leadership going to come from? That leader told us she may have been the biggest accidental president in U.S. soccer history. She's the first woman president of U.S. soccer at all. Someone who's known Jess for nearly 15 years and was a one-time world champion with the very same U.S. women's team now suing the Federation. Cindy Parlocone. I joined the team when I was 17. I still had a poster of the women's national team up on my wall at home in my parents' house. Like her championships on the field as a national team player, would Cohn be destined to succeed in U.S. soccer leadership 
in ways her male predecessors hadn't. It's a stunning day in late September 2021 at soccer fields off Beatty's Ford Road, north of Charlotte, when I finally meet up with Cindy Parlo-Cone. I love coaching. I got my degree in middle school education, and I was trying to decide whether I wanted to teach or coach. And, you know, I just felt like I could have a bigger impact on the field because you have more unstructured time with the kids and to be able to really have an impact on their lives more so than just in soccer. There's light breeze and birds chirping, and about five or six youth soccer matches happening on the fields. Children are playing on the slides and swing sets on the side of the field. You'll hear many of those sounds in our conversation. You'll remember Cone from our earlier episodes as a national team member, then assistant coach on Jess's University of North Carolina championship teams, then as the first coach of the Portland Thorns, where Cone tried to trade for Jess in the NWSL. I've coached youth, I've coached college, I've coached professionally, but somehow I keep coming back to the kids. There's just something about them. And like, for me, I didn't have that positive female role model at their ages. So it's pretty cool to be able to provide that for them and help guide them through, um, I think, some of the most challenging years of a young girl's life. As the president of U.S. Soccer, Cone doesn't do many of these sorts of interviews. It took months for us to schedule this one, and she was able to squeeze in this conversation at a tournament in North Carolina, where Cone was coaching a youth team from the Triangle. I moved away a few times, but I always find my way back to Chapel Hill. It's home for me. Cone began her pro career on the national team in 1995, but her contributions to U.S. soccer almost immediately expanded off the field. She was part of international initiatives to empower women and girls. She joined U.S. Soccer's Youth Task Force to develop future generations of players, and much more. Thank you so much. This is really amazing. By the time she was inducted into the Pro Soccer Hall of Fame in 2018, it was clear that Cone could be a force inside the Federation. I was so competitive as a kid and wanted to be the best player on every team, and I wanted to win every game, that I rarely took the time to support others on my team. Soccer is a universal language and can and should be used to build bridges, increase tolerance of others, and teach life skills. Let's continue to use our game to make the world a better place. In February 2019, Cohn was elected the vice president of U.S. Soccer, serving under President Carlos Cordero. I realized that I cared even more than I thought I cared. It wasn't great timing. I just had a kid and... (laughs) all that comes with that, but to walk into the rooms that I walk into, and I'm often the only woman, often the only former player, it was solidified in my thinking how important it is to have the athlete perspective in these rooms when decisions are being made at the highest levels about our sport. As an athlete, as a woman, you see things through a different lens. That wasn't the only challenge of timing. Just a few weeks later, Jess and the other women's players dropped the lawsuit on the Federation. Then, when U.S. soccer bungled its response and Cordiera resigned, Cohn found herself suddenly promoted to the top position in U.S. soccer. I call myself the accidental president of U.S. soccer. I ran for vice president, never thinking I would become president. I wasn't even looking for that. I wasn't even looking to be VP. No one had ever resigned before as the president. 
It was quite a transition jumping into the presidency role right as COVID was hitting, right on the backside of the very offensive language in the legal brief. Just like every other woman that read that language in that legal brief, I was hurt and offended. So that was painful to deal with. Cohn became president of U.S. soccer at a time when the women's team demanded more attention from the Federation. It's Cohn's job to walk a tightrope in protecting the interests of U.S. soccer, which at least sometimes means telling those women no. I think the Federation has done a lot to help support the women's national team and, and, and to help them stay on top of the world and the investments that the Federation has made. But at the same time, there's challenges in the FIFA World Cup prize money. This issue of FIFA prize money is perhaps the most intractable factor in debates between U.S. soccer and the women's team. The difference in World Cup prize money between the men's World Cup and the women's World Cup that FIFA offers is just stark. U.S. soccer's argument is that FIFA, the game's international governing body, pays participants of the men's World Cup dramatically more than it pays women's tournament teams. In fact, I was told by U.S. soccer's legal team that as part of the women's contract, the Federation gives 100% of any prize money they earn through FIFA matches to the women. The men's contract only pays them about 70% of the FIFA money they earn. Then U.S. soccer uses the remainder of the men's payout to help fund other programs, like youth leagues and Special Olympics. So, U.S. soccer told me, there's simply more money available for the men's team when those players negotiate their bargaining agreement. And similarly, the women's team can't expect U.S. soccer to make up the vast financial divide FIFA created. The fact that our women won $4 million for winning the World Cup and <laughs> the men's winner gets $38 million, for U.S. soccer to continuously have to make up the gap that FIFA is creating and maybe even exacerbating, that is all untenable for us. There's a basic logic to that. But Jess and the other women's players insist that it skips a step. FIFA does pay out more money for the men's tournament than the women's, but it doesn't actually pay the teams themselves. FIFA makes both payments directly to U.S. soccer. So it's U.S. soccer who's actually deciding what percentage of that combined total goes to which U.S. teams. 100% I'm for equal pay. Cone again. But the women's game globally has been underinvested in, right, when you compare it to the men's game. So... The challenge is, is we're one of 211 member associations. So it's not just U.S. soccer wants it. It's, it's, it's going to happen. We have to bring everyone around, along. If FIFA can help out and push other MAs to invest equally into the game and equalize prize money, equalize qualification money, that's a top-up and bottom-down approach at the same time. We reached out to FIFA for their response to all of this. And we're told that they had doubled the Women's World Cup prize money in 2019 from what it was in 2015, and would do so again for the Women's World Cup in 2023. A FIFA spokesperson told us that the 2023 Women's World Cup will expand the number of teams in the tournament to 32, matching the current total of the Men's World Cup. And the spokesperson told us, quote, over $1 billion is budgeted to be invested at all levels of women's football, including grassroots and the professional women's game to develop and professionalize women's football around the world. But none of those things actually equalize the prize money for the men's and women's participants. For me, yes, I would love to solve the litigation, and I would love FIFA to help me solve that by equalizing the prize money. 
But for me, the picture is bigger and grander than that. How do we elevate the women's game globally? And I think through World Cup qualification money, World Cup prize money, I think that is a great way to grow our game. Seeing Cohn now sitting across from the players, rather than alongside them, it could be tempting to imagine her as a leader of U.S. soccer's Death Star, denying the team that she once played for. That wouldn't necessarily be accurate, and I don't think it would be fair. I mean, and these players don't know Cindy, like obviously her teammates do from before, but there's no one with a better moral compass in terms of just like, you want someone that's ethically, you know, straight shooter is not going to screw you. I mean, there were so many times you felt like, wait, no, we didn't negotiate that. That's not right. Cone's former teammates, like Julie Foudy, who had all once fought together for equality, cheered her rise to the presidency. What I have said to the women, and Cindy knows well, is the only thing that moved the needle in negotiations is not lawyers screaming at each other. It's not vitriolic press statements. It's actually sitting at the table and saying, this is what matters to us. And this is why. And hashing it out, like player to federation, player to president. And in this case, player to player, because Cindy would know, right? What does seem fair is that Cone is caught between the past and the future and has the unenviable task of trying to make them both right. That means writing past wrongs at U.S. soccer, when women like Cone were undercompensated and underappreciated, which doesn't always feel so long ago at all. I think I deal with a lot of the same things that women in higher positions deal with, right? I get an agenda and the attire is suit and tie. It's things like that which may seem small to some, but it's lacking inclusivity. The men have always run the programming. They've always run FIFA, and then they're adding women. But until you get to a certain percentage, the amount of energy that goes into like what you're going to wear when you're going into this room when you're the only woman or one of only a couple women, it's a little unsettling. I'm not going to lie. I think FIFA and, and CONCACAF and U.S. soccer, we've all come a long way. But we still have a lot of area for improvement. But as president of U.S. soccer, it's also Cohn's responsibility to safeguard the game's future in America and all of U.S. soccer's interests. She told me that so long as FIFA maintains such disparate payouts for men's and women's tournaments, it would practically bankrupt the Federation to offer the women the same compensation as the men. As a nonprofit supporting uh, 22 national teams, plus some more adding next year, To pay the women's national team $66 million means no youth programming, no extended national team programming, um, and probably limited senior national team program. Just making up $66 million in an unknown amount in the future, we just can't do it. Digging through that, there's also an implication that a major unspoken impediment to equal pay for the women isn't actually U.S. soccer, but that it's the U.S. men's team. If the women want 50% of the combined FIFA payout, U.S. soccer seems to be saying the U.S. men have to agree to a much smaller take in the future. This means that there are more interests to consider than just those of the Women's Players Association, or PA, and the Federation. The Men's Players Association is also a factor in these labor negotiations. We've asked both the men's PA and the women's PA to come together with U.S. soccer to try to find a path forward on how we can make it equal. My hope is that that will happen, but then also my grander hope is that FIFA will equalize it. 
your position like formerly as a player on this women's national team that was kind of butting heads with the federation pretty often in its early history to now sort of being on the other side of, of the table in this case you know how do you kind of like resolve that in your mind do you think about that like man maybe I would have been part of this lawsuit like years earlier I mean you bring up a great point I was absolutely fighting for everything that we got when I was a women's national team player fighting the federation has the federation been perfect absolutely not and I'll be the first to admit that but since I've come in I've done everything to address the things that I can address the one thing that is really challenging for the federation to make up is the difference in world cup prize money however at the very end of my reporting for this podcast it became clear that there might be a new path forward. We'll tell you about that after this. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances and the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
In late 2020, something unusual happened. The U.S. women's national team lost. The reigning World Cup champion U.S. women's soccer team is vowing to fight on after a judge dismissed their claim of unequal pay with their male counterparts. The judge said that their claims are not enough to warrant a trial. At a key moment in the players' legal battle against the U.S. Soccer Federation, District Judge R. Gary Klossner dismissed the players' equal pay claims on summary judgment. Klossner's decision rested on two basic ideas. First, he said that over the past five years, the women's team received higher per-game average compensation than the U.S. men, irrespective of how many games they'd played or how many tournaments they'd won. Secondly, Judge Klausner said that the women were being compensated according to the collective bargaining agreement they themselves agreed to. I'm Jeffrey Kessler, and our firm has, from the beginning, been the class counsel for the women's national team players and their fight for equal pay. We were surprised by the decision, there's no question about that. Where we have our fundamental disagreement with the judge is that he ruled it was equal pay because over five years, the women collectively made almost as much per game, even a little more per game than the men. But the only way the women were able to achieve that total comparability of compensation was by playing many more games and winning many more games because you get compensated by bonuses for every game you win. And that's not what we believe the law requires. It's supposed to be equal opportunity. So if you both perform the same, you'll get the same compensation. Judge Klossner agreed with U.S. Soccer that the women had been offered the same structure of contract as the men's team and chose instead a different arrangement. The players insisted that missed the fundamental point that they were never offered a contract with the same total dollars as the men's team, so of course they chose a different arrangement. Technically, both sides were correct. Yeah, there's kind of a false narrative that the women could have had the men's deal, but chose a different deal with a different structure that they preferred, so why should they complain? The problem is that wasn't what happened. (laughs) What happened was... The women said, would you give us the same amounts as the men, the same structure and amounts? And the Federation said, well, we'll give you the same structure, but much lower amounts. So in that context, then the women opted for a different structure. The players pledged to appeal that dismissal, and they could still move forward with a portion of their lawsuit that centered on unequal working conditions compared to the men but there was no escaping the fact that the key part of their lawsuit had been tossed out. Regardless of what Judge Klossner had decided, it appears the players' arguments were not lost on the new president of U.S. soccer. Major news this morning in the years-long fight for equal pay by the women's national soccer team. A six-year fight over equal pay may finally have ended today. The players reached a $24 million settlement with the U.S. Soccer Federation In a surprise move this spring, Cindy Parlocone and the U.S. Soccer Federation appeared to extend an olive branch to the players, agreeing to settle the landmark case the Federation may have been well on the way to winning. 
It's yet another achievement for one of the winningest teams in sports history. As part of that settlement, U.S. soccer agreed in principle to pay the players in that lawsuit a total of $24 million. Of that, $22 million will be distributed to the national team players. Though at the time of recording this podcast, that distribution is still unclear. That $22 million was only a third of the back pay the players had sought, but it still amounted to an admission from U.S. soccer that for years it had been undercompensating the women. The remaining $2 million from the Federation settlement will go to charitable efforts around the women's game and what it called post-career goals for those players. Yeah, this is big time. I was so ecstatic about the news. This was my final conversation with Jess for this podcast. This was like a hard-fought battle, as you guys know. This is for everybody, you know, every female out there who deserves equity and equality, wherever their workplace is. In fact, the settlement includes a key safeguard for future generations. U.S. soccer said that it will now provide, quote, an equal rate of pay going forward for the women's and men's national teams in all friendlies and tournaments, including the World Cup. That was the fundamental principle driving the players' lawsuit, and far more than a lump sum of back pay could change the financial playing field moving forward. Today is a huge day. It's a win for everyone. It's a win for U.S. soccer, the players, for women's sports, and for women in general. Here, Cohn was speaking to me and other reporters at a press conference announcing the agreement. Now, I'll be the first to admit that the Federation has made mistakes in the past. And as a former player, I definitely understand the frustration of being treated that way and of dealing with my predecessor. But I'm very proud of the work that we've done and continue to do on equal pay. And this is just one step towards rebuilding our relationship with the women's team. Just days after that settlement was announced, Cohn was reelected to a new four-year term as president of U.S. soccer. Almost three dozen women's national team players endorsed her as a candidate. And they clearly believe in her ability to enact change on behalf of the women's game. It was time. You know, it's 2022, and sadly it took this long. But, you know, we really did this for our future generation. In my conversations with Jess, she was proud that this fight for equality can now be part of her legacy as well. You know, the little girls who are going to be in our shoes one day, who are going to be playing for our country, we got to fight for that and pave the way for them. This absolutely means the world to me. I can't wait till everything is obviously set in stone. That, however, is the other critical piece of this potential settlement that hasn't gotten as much attention. The agreement between U.S. soccer and the women's team is contingent upon the women's and men's national teams agreeing to new collective bargaining agreements with the Federation. Among other things, those agreements will codify exactly what the men's teams will have to give up so that U.S. soccer can then distribute equal prize money to the women. And as of recording this episode, those new CBAs haven't been ratified. Publicly, there remains widespread optimism from both the women's team's players and the Federation that it will happen. But in the fight for equal pay in American soccer, Jess and her teammates haven't actually won. At least not just yet. Year number 10 of the NWSL begins tonight as Racing Louisville and the Kansas City Current kick off the third annual Challenge Cup. By early 2022, that settlement agreement meant the landscape was shifting for the national team players. As for Jess and her NWSL career, there was another shift coming as well. And while this offseason was the shortest in league history, it certainly was not short on player movement as the league's all-time assist leader Jess McDonald made her way to Louisville. Before the start of this NWSL season, Jess was traded by the North Carolina Courage to racing Louisville for the sixth overall pick in the league's draft. 
That made Jess a trailblazer yet again. Racing is now her seventh different NWSL team, the most for any player in league history. In Jess's final year with The Courage, she told me she was paid around $42,000. This season in Louisville, she said she'll make about $75,000. As part of her contract, that base pay will increase next year. CC Kaiser streaking down the middle with some space and some help. Already this season, Louisville seems to be getting what they paid for. Here's McDonald in their first match. Back to Kaiser! Racing Louisville strikes first! In their second match. Now the shot! Oh, what a goal! Jess McDonald, her first for Racing Louisville! In their fourth match. McDonald turns the corner. It's tapped in! Racing Louisville on the road opens the scoring. That kind of movement between NWSL teams for veterans like Jess could soon become far more common. Recently, the NWSL Players Association ratified their first ever collective bargaining agreement with the league. The mission of this CBA has been to turn the tide from going backwards. We met Megan Burke in earlier episodes. She was part of the first two failed women's professional soccer leagues and has ultimately become the executive director of that NWSL Players Association. Burke was instrumental in negotiating that CBA. You know, while the U.S. women have won four World Cups and have rightly fought for equal pay, there's still this huge gap, you know, with the rest of the player pool and in our domestic professional league. This is the year that we turn the tide and we start moving forward into the future. We improve standards. We increase the minimum. We make this experience a truly professional experience that is worthy of the players in it. As part of that CBA, the NWSL players will see increased minimum salaries from $22,000 last year to $35,000 this year. Players are also guaranteed free agency, eight weeks of parental leave, and the league will institute a host of increased player safety measures. Top priority is player health and safety, without a question. I think we now understand what we really mean by player health and safety and how deep that goes. And I frankly think it's not something we should have to negotiate over. We would contend that the structural power and balance in NWSL is partly what leads us to the stories you hear. When I say fair contracts, I'm specifically meaning the ability of a player to have some agency over her and autonomy over her career, for her rights to not be held hostage by a club, for her to be able to get out of a situation if she's unhappy or unsafe. Jess told me that the allegations involving her former coach, Paul Riley, didn't especially factor into her wanting to leave the courage. At the same time, Memories of her time playing for him in Portland, a key location where Riley's alleged misconduct was said to have occurred, have clearly stuck with her. And I can't imagine the chance for a fresh start hurt anything now. Of course, I witnessed, you know, a lot of the verbal abuse. I knew better. I, I knew I should have spoken up for some teammates, and I didn't. And I feel really bad because I feel responsible for it almost, you know, just being there and not saying anything or doing anything. As female athletes, we do have voices. You know, we do have platforms. We do have the fight within us nowadays. And so it's nice to see people kind of speaking up and, and speaking about their experiences now. This is where that bravery is going to come from for our youth girls who are going to climb up the ladder into the pros or into college and knowing that these things aren't okay and it's okay to speak up now. Back in Arizona... Jess's grandmother, Abby McDonald, her aunt and uncle, Lori and Kevin McDonald, 
and the rest of her extended family still watch every one of Jess's games that they can. Jess told me her relationships with her parents are more of a work in progress. There are emotional wounds from her difficult upbringing that may never fully heal. But Jess also believes that so much of her athletic success is a product of her family. That's true genetically, and in other ways. Without my journey that I had growing up anyway, I probably wouldn't even be where I am today because I got to use you know, all the adversity that I've gone through throughout my life and, and use sport as a coping mechanism with all of that. You know, it's not like a grudge I'm going to hold against my parents, but it took me like through my adulthood to accept the fact that that's just how it was and how it is. And since my mom, it's still probably going to linger in the back of my mind, of course. I wish it was better between us, but... I've gotten closer with my dad in my adult life. It's been kind of amazing getting to know him nowadays. He's been helping me out with my son a lot lately. And it's just been amazing seeing Jeremiah just develop a relationship with him, too. For better and worse, those figures molded Jess's past. Okay, so I'm Simon, and we're doing Nerf guns with me and my mom right there, mom. But it's clear the person who guides her future will be her son, Jeremiah. Okay, so we're starting. Are you ready? A constant source of joy, sacrifice, motivation, and inspiration. I see your hand. <laughs> Jess told me that so far in Louisville, Jeremiah is doing just fine. We're excited to be here. Jeremiah loves his new school. He's made new friends pretty quickly. He came home his first day of school and had a bracelet on. I'm like, who is that from? No, having coming up to your school fighting a little girl. No, I'm just kidding. But um, no, he has a girlfriend. Yeah. I, I know. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're already meeting girls. My goodness. Kid's a little charmer. Jess told me she knows she's at the tail end of her playing career. It's possible her time with the U.S. national team is already done. And so gradually, the woman who has been a star athlete and a mom is considering what her identity will be beyond the game. I started public speaking kind of dabbling into different things, seeing, you know, what I was good at, what I liked. And public speaking was one of the things I enjoyed doing. And so I got better and better over time. Jess has long been asked to speak to high school assemblies and children's groups about soccer. She's a high school champion, college champion, pro champion, World Cup champion. But somehow, the more trophies she's added, the less Jess told me she felt like they were the important part of her story. I realized only thing I had talked about was literally my sports journey and never giving them who is Jessica McDonald. I hadn't done that. And first time I did it was speaking in front of a Rotary Club. But mind you, Rotary Clubs are all rich, retired people. You know, what am I going to tell people who are three times my age who have already succeeded? So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to give them my story, my why, my purpose. And man, Alex, I was sweating my ass off. Like, speak, like, I've, like holding the mic in my hand, like, I don't think I've ever shook, you know, in front of an audience ever, you know, speaking in front of, I'm pretty comfortable speaking in front of people. And so kind of gave them the rundown of my childhood, me running away in high school, junior college, UNC kind of skipped the pro part, like, okay, yeah, I'm a pro. And I had this massive line of people after this speech thanking me 
for telling my story because of how much they related to me. You know, one man, multimillionaire, he's like, my mom was an alcoholic. She left us at home for days at a time. You know, another story and another story, you know, people coming up to me and I'm like, literally on the verge of crying pretty much. I'm like, oh my gosh, people related to my story outside of sports. Like not everyone's an athlete. Hearing Jess talk about the way people connect with her story, I thought back to a moment in her home. I was speaking with Jeremiah, and he seemed to capture it all. What has that been like to watch your mom play on the weekends in her games? I felt like she's won a lot of games, and now she's becoming a legend. Why do you say she's becoming a legend? Because the whole world thinks she's that important. What? Oh my gosh, kid. I'm going to cry right now. I'm Alexandreev. This has been Longshot, Season 2, Payback. It's a production of the Charlotte Observer, the News and Observer, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio. Payback was produced by Kata Stevens, Casey Toth, Julia Wall, and Davin Coburn. The executive producer for iHeartRadio is Sean Tytone. Raina Cash is the executive editor of the Charlotte Observer. Bill Church is the executive editor of the News and Observer. And Cynthia DeBose is McClatchy's Vice President of Audience Growth and Content. Special thanks to Matt Stevens, Scott Sharp, Gabby McCall, Eddie Alvarez, Jay Pilgreen, Kyle Dorsey, Travis Long, Anna Latisse, Sohail Aljamea, and David Wasserman and Kurt Guerin at iHeartRadio. For lots more on this story and to support journalism like this, visit charlotteobserver.com slash payback or newsobserver.com slash payback. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings for the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.